Welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Mr. Ben Bigman. Look, it's extraordinarily hot in Los Angeles right now. It's uncomfortable. I have not I have not relented and bought an air conditioner unit until tonight. I did, but it's not going to get here for a week. So uh, I just wrapped myself in this giant ice pack that I got when I had back surgery. It's like the size of my body. It's the only thing I can do to cool myself down. And otherwise, you know, life is tough right now. But, uh, you know, that's okay. I'm here to bring you guys the goods, talking magic. That's what we're here to do. Yeah, I think I'm really close to just buying a really good, well-breathing chair. I bought this from Staples, and I just bought it because it was a cool gaming chair-looking thing in Staples. It was cheap, and uh, it doesn't... Every time we do these podcasts, it's hot. It gets it really hot. Mom's spaghetti. Uh, all right, so today, as a podcast and a YouTube channel, uh, we are going to be talking about... So uh, every year, uh, Mark Rosewater launches a State of Design article, and it's it kind of goes through... Um, the lessons that they learned, mistakes and challenges that they faced this year. It goes through each of the different sets that they launched and kind of talks about how they're going to take the lessons of this year and apply them to the future. And it's one of the most important articles he writes every week. Sorry, excuse me, every year. Um, those His regular weekly article is important probably to read if you like anything about uh, learning how magic is made. Um, and he's a good writer. He started as a TV writer. That was his first job. Speaking of masters of movies. Um, <laughs> and... Um, the content of the article is just really, really fascinating. It kind of goes, especially over the last year, where arguably one of the most controversial years in magic between, uh, War of the Spark, M20, Eldraine, Theros Beyond Death, Ikoria, M21, and the adjacency products like Jumpstart. He goes into kind of those. He doesn't talk about like Commander. He doesn't talk about kind of any of the master sets. So like that isn't really what he's, what he, he mentions in this, but he does go through all the core releases for the year. Um, we're going to talk about it. Uh, and, and it's interesting. One, one, one thing I will say, it's fascinating how Wizards has been able to grow so much since we started playing that like, Part of the, his conversation is like the three, I think the three of the four biggest issues Magic had this year, Mark Wozner is not responsible for it all, right? Like he, he's he's not responsible for the story almost at all. Like I, I bet he doesn't even know some of the story that's going on. Uh, he's not responsible for um, play design, right? He's not, he's not there to make sure cards are balanced. That's not really part of his job. Um, he's no longer kind of, and, and, and in a weird way, he's related to PR, but isn't actually like he, he he for a long time is the face of the company of magic but isn't like the actual pr person and then obviously hr which he has no decisions in to, other than his department which i guess he has some power in and he it could be an influence in those spaces but basically this article is not about those issues it is about the content of creating sets and and, and, and that process um which you know do i wish maybe this article addressing what, what i do wish is that someone else or other departments of wizards would write similar articles addressing the things that they're responsible for you know and those things and yeah they're they're, they're sort of shortcomings and, and and their their involvement it's it's a very interesting series of articles and the, the cool thing is and i think you mentioned this a second ago um you know he lists the link to all the old ones you can read so if you so if you read this one and you're like curious you're like well i wonder how this compares to like 2013 or like when i started playing in 2010 like you can you get all those different articles you can go check them out and it is a very interesting thing to compare because I, I do appreciate the transparency that Rosewater has in, in writing these. I think it's very cool that he does and, and that you can go and you can like sort of compare notes year to year. This was a weird year for magic for sure. Um, but I think the no, the most notable thing to talk about and, and, you know, it kind of, to me, when I read the whole article, it stood above all else. As he says, the thing is more people 
played magic this year and opened magic products this year than any year before. So that's crazy, right? Like we're in a world right now where magic is trying to ramp up their digital game. You know, Moda has been out for a long time. Arena is now available on Mac. It's being pushed very heavily this last year to really try to compete in that world. Magic is trying to become a legitimate esport. You would think that maybe push into that world would sort of drop down some of the physical also combined with the fact that COVID has made it so that like a lot of us can't even go to stores and have not been able to for months. But the fact that they're, and unless he's just making it up, which I don't think he is, honestly telling us that more magic product has been opened and more magic has been played. I mean, played doesn't surprise me because of arena, but opened does like, I would have thought that number was down. So that means magic's in a very healthy place, despite some of those shortcomings that we are going to talk about that they take responsibility for in this article. Yeah. It's, 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 it's always interesting to kind of get a read for where, where they see their mistakes. Now this is a PR focused article, right? So some, it's always been a comment of like, Post this, paying attention to to Morrow's Tumblr and other creators' Tumblrs three years down the line and getting more retrospectives as they look back, right? Like, you know, if you look at the year that Razi Eldrazi came out, he looks back at that and is, like, very positive on how it did. But then five years later, he's like, oh, it was a mistake for these reasons. Same with Lorowin, same with Kamigawa. Like, there are sets that are retroactively considered um failures upon wizards wizard side that in these articles he is less less critical of at the time and, and is now more critical of 10 years later um but that's i think also fair it's the same reason that like people joke that the academy awards should cover the year before the year it's in right not or like two years before because it's never like a you never want to ask anyone who answers their favorite movie is something is like the last movie they saw is always problematic <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um. Is like always like, is that your favorite movie? Um. But then also just like, just hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Like we can look back and at at uh twenty fifteen, and I think pretty much most people agree that Mad Max was the best movie of that year, and it was nominated, yeah. but it didn't win. And like, there's there's a ton of years where if you go back and look at what won the Academy Award, it's like, did did was that the best movie that year? Was the artist the best movie that year? Was was Shakespeare in Love the best movie that year? And you know, some years they get it right, and some years they don't. Um, that's why I always find that whenever you do those, like those lists, like if you, you know, if I, I, I remember one year, like back in like 20, uh, I think it was 20, yeah, it was 2017 towards the end of the year. I made a top 50 movies, uh, my, my 50 favorite movies of all time list. I like spent two months working on this, like really trying to make sure that I wasn't going to forget something so that when I put the list together, it'd be act- accurate. And my feeling was that nothing that I had seen that had come out in, in the year prior, uh, was eligible. So I remember Logan and La La Land both were like movies I loved. Like I loved those movies, but I wouldn't allow myself to put them on the list because like recency bias is so strong. You just can't trust it when you've seen a movie that you loved and you thought was great. I mean, I, as a critic, so often I walk out of movies and my my review is something like, this is the best thing I've seen this year. Or like, this is one of the best movies I've seen this year. And then looking back on some of those movies, like I have no interest in ever watching those movies again. I remember early 2019, like saying Battle Angel, Battle Angel Alita was the best movie I had seen so far. Now, granted, it was January of 2019, so it was early in the year. I'm never going to watch that movie again. It was fine. It's totally sweet, but not, like, great. It's like, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I agree that... So, so, so in retro, bringing it back to Magic, um, there's definitely, like, looking back at these... A, for instance, on Ikoria, he is critical of it, um, but it happened... And or M21, he's critical of it, but A, we don't know what M21 looks like in next year's standard. We don't know what Ikoria looks like in next year's standard. We don't even know what Aldrain looks like in next year's standard. So it's like, it's interesting, like, especially as car- sets rotate, I wish these went back a little farther. I wish we got content on, 
Like, I want to know what his thoughts are on War of the Spark now. More than ever. Yeah, he didn't. I know. I know. I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Obviously, the, the article is specifically referencing this last year. So mm-hmm. that goes back further. But I totally was reading it just thinking to myself, like, so much of the stuff that you're saying here, I feel like directly relates to that set. Like a lot of what he said, like the stuff about Oka, I was just like, how are you not putting in like, I don't know, five sentences about War of the Spark? Right. <laughs> that's like, and, and, that's and like what I really want to know. Because it's it's the point of this article, right? Like you literally can go to the article in 2019 and look at what he said about War of the Spark. But that doesn't have any of the context of the last year. Um, and so I think, I think that, that kind of is one of the things I wish we got more of, or there was a second article, right? Just like a one that's like retrospective on this set that the, the rotating, I mean, some of the interesting things that were brought up that I like in my head, even a person paying attention to this don't really like notice regularly is this is the first real moment in, and, and the next, as literally as once rotation happens, will be the first moment that there's no blocks in standard, right? Like uh, return the Ravnica um was didn't have blocks but has its way return to ravnica works or ravnica sets work uh, that that have always felt that way but this year with eldraine and theros beyond death and ikoria was the first time just like nothing to do with each other no 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 uh thematic bylines no mechanical bylines nothing is the same like even even with like last ravnica you have the gates as a theme right so there's there's it's weird seeing that disjointed world and I think we've talked about before some of the issues I think that's happening with power level beyond just the fire mentality and some of the other stuff that's going on is that they are pushing cards on a single set-by-set basis more um, without as much time to kind of test those environments and without as much, like, you don't have the, oh, this is a really cool idea to do with 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 escape. Let's, uh, you know, being able to give other cards in your graveyard escape. Let's hold that until the next set so there's something cool that we're doing in the next set and in the first set we'll do some of the basic stuff and then you get a whole three-month period of testing that basic stuff so that when you get to the next you're like oh you know what escape is way too good maybe we shouldn't let oro exist (laughs) or or like maybe uh uh through the breach or yeah through the breach right not through the breach underworld no underworld breach uh is maybe maybe it should cost four mana like our our other cards in this way so I, i think it's been an interesting world that they're existing in where each set comes out as a singular set i kind of think that honestly underworld breach like it should have cost three at least i mean just based on the fact that it's yogmoth's will so like if you're going to just print a red yogmoth's will and you're going to make the mechanics slightly different then just print it for three but don't print it for one less than yogmoth's will that's like considered by some people the single most powerful magic card ever printed yeah I, agree. I don't know how you could. I, I don't know what design meeting people were sitting around in where they're like, well, you know what? It's pretty similar to the best magic card ever. We're going to put it into standard. What do you think about making it less than Yogwell? I mean, I, mean <laughs> like, I, think it, I, think it, I think it is. I think I can maybe argue it's worse than Yogwell, right? Like, it's better. It's weird. It's worse in, than Yogwell in a vacuum, even at two mana, right? Because the cost of doing it is higher. It's only that just oh, the decks sure. that are best with that card, you can break it with Underworld Breach in a way that Yagamath's will doesn't work because it's repeatable. I think really the answer is it should have just exiled those cards. Right? If you escape yeah. a card this turn, exile it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's it's certainly interesting. I mean, I mean, I think that there was there's a lot of stuff that he does talk about in there that I that I find very, very interesting in terms of like where design is going and what we can expect in the future. But I think the point you just made now is the one that really resonated with me, which is the block structure is so different than the single set structure, you know, like the tie ins. If you think about magic and you think about it as you can sort of relate it to any other piece of art, if anything, anything else creative, anybody that's listening to this that's ever done, whether it's like you're building something at home, if you're a songwriter, if you write a script, whatever it is. 
like you always try to sort of tie a to b and then once you you know get to k you want it to relate back to b and like you you know you want things to kind of flow together you want a lot of that that kind of synchronicity and you want those connections that backwards compatibility is one of the things that makes magic so cool and so with with the block structure they're very deliberate you know which is why when you used to play block constructed it would fit together really nicely you would sort of know there'd be a ceiling of power you could get because they would specifically have designed these sets to work together in a way that they couldn't push it too much past what you'd expect because they knew you know, A had to work with B, had to work with C. Um, what that means is... That, sorry, go. Sorry. In block, it would just mean that in, if you were just using those new cards, it always felt like the power level was kind of exactly what was intended for its environment. Um, now, granted, every once in a while there was a mistake, but for the most part, that was how it was designed. Modern, which was, you know, obviously what this podcast was founded on, sort of taught us that the, that bo- that backwards compatibility and the way that it all flowed together... Um, made it very important for them to look at that connection that they often didn't do, which is why sometimes that redundancy they'd print would make something old really powerful all of a sudden. You'd get a really, really crazy connection and a card would like blow through the roof. So with them just designing single sets now, it does feel like every time they come out with a new set, it's sort of just like, who knows? Is the dynamite going to explode? I don't know what this is doing. Like this doesn't relate to anything else I can expect. This is going to be a brand new can of worms. Yeah, I think I think to me it's 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 a little bit of a mentality thing too, right? If I'm designing a set and I have six cool mechanics and, or four cool, and I guess generally it's three to four cool mechanics. And I'm like, okay, I have three sets to come up with as many cool ideas as possible over those three sets. I can spread them out. I don't want to have too much in one set because I want to save stuff for later ones. I want to make sure that this set has good cards though. So I'll, I'll, I'll save tweaks for later ones and I'm going to, I'm going to spread it out. I need to make sure I save it. The that's that's the old model. The new model is I have these three cool mechanics and this is my one chance to get every cool idea out all at once in this one set. Go. And I think just the difference between not even just the like the, the difference between the energy and the design process for those two mentalities is going to lead you down a path of more powerful cards versus less powerful. One one comes from a place of moderation right but the other ones comes from a place of no i need it's 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 rushed right i need this is the only time escape is ever going to be printed i need to get every escape card i can come up with right now into this set uh this is the only time adventure is going to ever be imprinted possibly I need to do everyone in the set last mutate's never going to happen again companions never going to happen again so like with that with that idea you end up with just weird power level structure things so so with that in mind i think i do want to get into each of the sets like kind of go through the different sections before we do that i do want to bring up um make sure uh follow us on twitter and our patron uh uh the way we are able to afford this to helps marshall kind of work we do all this cool stuff for patreon if you're a patron there's a whole raw feed you get a bunch of extra content per episode um if this the the there might be a movie there's a whole movie discussion from this episode that you get that you only get on patreon or parts of it you only get on patreon we might be releasing it as a hot take so either yeah one of those things will happen (laughs) um and then excuse me and then uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kess Wiley at Ben Bateman Media. We're also doing streams every week. So every Monday we do a commander stream at, at uh, 8 p.m. PST. Uh, come check that out. It's really awesome. Uh, we have cool guests on. Uh, Ben's getting into it. We played CDH to casual EDH. Uh, next week, I think we are doing a CDH game with, with some special guests that we'll be announcing over the weekend. Also, this week in this Command Fest uh, online, we're working with Channel Fireball to do Commander content. On Sunday at um, 3 o'clock or 3.30, we're doing a uh, panel on 
getting a competitive player that doesn't play magic or doesn't play a uh, multiplayer commander that plays a competitive modern Ben uh, <laughs> into casual magic into into uh, different forms of commander. Uh, we'll have um, Jim from the Spike Feeders and Tappy Tokels on with us and among others. And then uh, I am playing in my commander game at 2 p.m. on Saturday. So Saturday at 2 p.m. I'm playing Sunday at 3.30. We are doing a panel talking about getting Ben into magic. Commander. It's been really fun. I just keep conning these guys into thinking I'm playing something not that powerful and then winning with combos. It's it's been awesome. Um I had a great time. The thing is that's so annoying about that is that even if I have to work really hard to win with my combo, I still get hated on for winning with it. Like I won with like I won with like Mind Crank, uh 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 what Blood Chief Ascension after like a billion turns and Narset's reversing a uh, uh, whatever that card is, Cyclonic Rift last night. Like, that's a sweet way to win, but I got no respect. This is Brian David Marshall's tiny sad violin, and you can tap it to play a sad <laughs> song. And I am playing a sad song for you. It, it, it has been a super fun time. So, so yeah, be sure to tune in for that. I'm, I'm probably going to do more of the stuff also where I tune in to uh, like one of our YouTube streams and I build a deck for Historic on stream with you guys. And then we go play it uh, and I grind and I'm, you know, been trying to grind a mythic. I might even do some of that tonight. Um, but yeah, that and, and also uh, follow us on Twitch. Cass and I are both streaming on Twitch a whole bunch. You guys can find me at uh, twitch.tv slash streaming. And I'm twitch.tv slash Kess Wiley. Basically, if you put Kess Wiley onto a website, hopefully I'm the person who shows up. And if I'm not and I'm not on that website yet, you should let me know so I can join it. Uh, but uh, even TikTok, you could follow me on TikTok at Kess Wiley. Um, yeah. Uh, He's so kind of I'm not. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hit. Oh, and a, and a and a big time and a big time thank you and a pinkies out to the nobles of House Modern. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tier on our Patreon where we hang out with you guys for about 20 minutes before every single podcast. Just kind of hear your thoughts. Um, you know, we do that every single week. So a big thanks to Andrew Kelsa for that. Salute. All right, I'm, I'm doing. Let's two. do the thing. Nice. All right. Have you had the the hibiscus? Lacroix finally released new flavors: hibiscus, watermelon. Uh, we're not sponsored, man. Marshall, you have to cut this out. We can't. We can't talk about that. Crackling open will sponsor us. It's <laughs> the last thing I do. Um, all right. So uh, highlights. So so as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, magic has been played by more people than any any at any other time in the history of magic. Right. Due to not just on arena, but paper magic outsold any other year. Continues to do very well and add the whole layer of arena magic existing in a way that digital magic has never existed before is leading to just magic being played more than ever before. Um, this year, another thing the market Rosewater brings up is that it, it was a year they put pushed really cool designs, right? Escape ended up being a really cool mechanic. Adventure was a really cool mechanic. Um, mutate even companion, like, like they, they tried all these really cool new ideas, phasings back. Um, and to some success, obviously some failures, but they, I think we're excited by what they've been able to accomplish as far as just new cool stuff, right? Like that, that's one thing I can't say wizards hasn't done is stuff has been cool that they've been pushing and coming up with. Yeah. I mean, we, Rosewater talked about how one of the things this year they were going back to, they were willing to test was more complex mechanics. Um, and that was evidence in Ikoria with mutate. Um, cause you know, look, I read mutate and I was definitely like, this does not read in a way that feels intuitive. This reads in kind of a confusing way. This, I wonder if this is a mistake. You know, I definitely think that uh, adventures had their, had, you know, they when you first looked at the cards, they felt a little challenging. I like definitely came around on them pretty fast, but there was pretty cool stuff. And then phasing, which like classically is one of the most confusing mechanics ever printed. They put onto a marquee mythic rare that I think is 
one of my favorite cards from the set in a Teferi. And so there's a lot of complexity. I think they were trusting the audience to be able to process and enjoy. Um, you know, Alex, I guess one place that I would ask, again, this is actually a specific question because I'm trying to do a stream tomorrow night with a friend of mine who plays magic and she's played for years, but like intro deck level magic, right? Like has a good time playing it, but doesn't really know like much of how it works. If I wanted to do like a stream with somebody who's not particularly familiar and I wanted to try to play to an audience to bring in new viewers and make it fun for her, what do I do? What does magic currently offer in terms of on the arena format? on the arena platform with somebody who's like not super familiar. Like what currently, what has design offered us for me to be able to do that? I have an answer for you and it was on arena and it's called jumpstart. <laughs> and I don't know if that was a segue. Cause I think that was one of the things that they were pretty proud about and, or, or unique pack variety, right? Let me see. Can you currently play jumpstart on arena still? I don't think you can color. Change. I think they got rid of it. I feel like they did. You might be able to be able to play on Moto, but it does not look like Jumpstart is on here. So my my starting position is Jumpstart. With without Jumpstart, I would say color challenges or something. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, at that point, I don't know. I think I think it depends. Because draft right? drafting like is pretty, that, that, draft is pretty. That's like pretty complex for somebody who like doesn't totally understand all the all the quick mechanics. You're like on your timed all that. Yeah, well, you could do the robot draft still, right? Those are still around, or it's or they're only. Standard event, historic, premier draft. There's just right, yeah, quick draft course at 21. I would do that. Quick draft. There's no, you're not timed. You have time to just pick cards. You're not with other people. There's no pressure. Jumpstart. Um, yeah. That, 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 I, I agree. I played, I played a bit of it. It was super yeah, fun. The, the ability to take kind of two packs, you just like automatically show up. There's no deck building. Basically, it's maybe the best beginner product Wizards has ever made. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's really good. Um, I do think. That it also like offers like oh you get the kind of pick thematically right like oh witches and sharks or what and, and, and witches and pirates right you can do witches and pirates and that's like fun and you can like pretty much pick yeah what's going on um well because she like she like said to me she was like like my history with magic because I've played a handful of times I enjoy it but like I tend to pick you know the cards that look the coolest like that's like, how kind of how I got into it like I want to play with a bunch of angels and like weird creatures you know and, so and I'm like really I get that. Best. Yeah, that's like literally what got me into magic as a little kid was like, you know, stuff that looked cool. So, you know, crawl worm. I mean, I traded a polar crack and for a scaled worm over here, you know. And yeah, I mean, like once <laughs> once COVID is done doing something where you guys just buy jumpstart packs and play jumpstart, I think is the best option. Right, right, right. And it'll come back on arena and maybe plan for that. Right. But the, yeah, that's that's by far the best new player experience that's ever been created and that's one of the wins from this year right and i guess that kind of curtails Huge. the last thing was which is booster fun and collector packs were a hit so all the different collector packs that they came out with a according to tomorrow sold out right they, they keep selling out of collector boosters that they're not sitting on shelves i i kind of agree i like love these type of things now there's some issues with like what the value is on these things but from the perspective of like i like the idea that the value in these sets is becoming more and more about the like premium version of these cards, not necessarily like the other versions of them. And there's like different versions. So you have more choices on how to customize which cards you play. Like I love the different full art, whatever's and like that I think is really cool. Um, I got a foil, one of the sea uh, uh, dasher octopus or whatever from Ikoria for my guy stack and it's awesome the, with the comic book art and all that stuff it's like one of the coolest cards i own now um and the fact that they keep doing it is really really cool uh and i'm also excited about the new ones the the like the packs that are meant to be opened they're like re-envisioning what a booster pack should be for someone who like does pack openings right where it's like oh every single card here is a story and a conversation to have about what's going on in the pack and i think that's really cool as well 
Uh-huh. That is cool. Yeah. I think I think that when you talk about that, like Magic is designed in this kind of brilliant way in terms of it's as a retail facing product where like booster packs are created to be sold, right? That's from from a, from a base first base level. Like Wizards is like we're going to make this product. It's going to be the most, you know, disposable sort of way for us to sell these products. Most of what is going to be open will be stuff that you don't really want to hold on to long term. You get a rare maybe an uncommon you want to hold on to. But for the most part, the point of this experience is for you to draft or play sealed. And that's why you open packs. Now, some people just open them because they like opening and they open cool things. And the cost of the pack is such that what you're opening is worth probably close to what you've paid, sometimes more and sometimes a little less. But if you want to go beyond the play experience, which is kind of what the point of the 15 card booster is for, and you want to be in the sort of collectability experience, then actually the collector's boosters are awesome because like it's a way more it's like a way more pleasing way to spend your money because you're going to open stuff all that's pretty cool because everything you get, you're going to want to keep. And I appreciate that. I think that that's like that magic's a big enough game now enough people buy it that there should be, there should be enough different versions of all these cool cards that like I'm constantly seeing things I've never seen before that are official real cards. Right. Because yeah. nobody should really be able to own everything. I guess if they can, if they have infinite money, but it's cool that there is like an infinite numbers of things out there. And I think I think if I were to look at what one of my complaints for this year beyond power level, because that we're now on the the lessons the lessons learned side, where we're talking about the, maybe the things that weren't as good. Um, that the one thing that he doesn't mention that I don't think is talked about a lot. I think that content releases need to be separated from each other a little bit more. And I know that last year was the first time that this was really an issue, and then this year that kind of continued. This year it almost was worse in some ways. It was better in some ways and worse, right? You didn't have uh, uh, Ikoria or, or, or uh, War of the Spark into Modern Horizons into M20. Like, like one after the other were basically for like a 12-week period we were just doing set reviews, right? What you do have, though, is like Ikoria and Commander 20 coming out the same week. Or like what the spoilers happening at the same time. At the same time as the like Transformer, or not the Transformers, is the Godzilla... Um, promo cards to the extent that I did not know what cards were real or what cards were standard legal, what cards would be modern legal for a while. Um, as a person who's like has a podcast, my job is to know these things, and I was like trying to figure it out and just like keeping track of like which mutate creature was a standard legal mutate creature and which ones weren't. I mean, luckily, eventually, Arena playing it on, on there is what kind of locked everything into my brain because like, oh, this card isn't available. Okay, <laughs> the mutate legend that looks like a like a dog, like a like a uh, uh, what's what's the Flintstones? Fido, Fido, right? Is the Flintstones dinosaur dog? Sounds sounds right, yeah. Okay, all right, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> uh, I'm looking that. I'm looking that up immediately. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that that's that's one of my my things. Uh, other lessons that Dino, Dino, Dino. Dino. Uh, one of the lessons that that uh, Mario brings up balancing issues, right? The the that's the big elephant in the room. He does mention that's not his department, um, but just like at multiple levels they've banned a bunch of cards um and and figuring out how to work and fix those mistakes is something that wizards is saying they're doing and i mean we can't trust them we can't we can't you know we have to trust them at their word until it happens but um that's that's one thing he does bring up uh Getting uh, getting better at thinking about the ramifications on all the formats. So so something that he knows that just magic is played in so many different ways, from historic to pioneer to legacy to vintage to modern to commander to best of one to best of three to draft to sealed to you know whatever. 
um, Canadian Highlander, Highlander Roulette, uh, that like how these cards are affecting every format, I think is something that they've learned. I think this is a, the closest we get to like a little bit of an answer to War of the Spark in Modern Horizons, right? Is like they need to be, and, and a big one is Oko, um, where it's like looking at how do these sets affect, how do these cards affect every format and being aware what that means. Um, and then the third thing he brings up, which I thought was really interesting, actually. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, this is, this, that, that one's later. The, the third thing he brings up is, is just, uh, being better at mechanical cohesion, cohesion, which is basically what we mentioned earlier. This is the first year that a set was ever, was, this is the first blockless year. Every set was its own thing. There was no block. And they tried with enchantments and monocolor having some amount of a, a through line throughout the year and did okay. But uh, he feels that there needs to be a little bit of better effort or better job at, at accomplishing that. Anything? I don't know this. I don't know this. No, yeah, yeah, no. I, I think I think the mechanical cohesion and, and the, the way the block stuff all works together, the different mechanics, is it was one of the parts of the article that I found the most interesting, actually. Um, I, It's kind of what I was talking about earlier with the backwards compatibility stuff. I think, like, it's cool when you come up with a few mechanics all in a set that work and you want them to all be great. But the thing is, as he mentioned with like adamant, like no one remembers adamant. No one cares about adamant. Like it was a thing that they did that seemed probably relevant. But the thing is at this point with magic, there have been so many different mechanics. When you come up with something, it's pretty much impossible for it to feel like it's totally different and unique. It's going to feel like a riff on something people have seen before. It always just will. It's just, it's like very hard to come up with something that doesn't feel like it relates. It's like, you know, mutate feels pretty similar to bestow. It's like not that different. It's a little different, but like still feels pretty similar to bestow. Um, and like, I, I think that that, that one single piece of it is such that like Adam, just feels like kind of a, an unexciting version of things we've seen before, which is probably why it gets forgotten. What's interesting to me is it's almost an unexciting thing of unexciting things we've seen before. <laughs> uh uh i forget what the mechanic is called but um uh bring chroma delight. is that what you're getting at no 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 it's no. oh, 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 oh. um yeah bring, bring delight was converge right converge where like the more colors you play like this is yeah, the opposite yeah. it's, it's literally the opposite effect bring to light is if you play at least i think it's converge it's it's for every color you play that's different it gets better yeah converge for every color you play um you the, the the more powerful it scales up. Adamant is if you play enough of no color, if you only play one color to do this, it gets it gets powered up. Um, yeah. And then another one is domain, right? I guess would be the third kind of space. And then and then is is it chroma? Is that what's in mirrored and block? Chroma? No, chroma is the one that is like what's what's, what's mana cash? symbols. It's like it's like how many mana symbols do you reveal, or like how many mana symbols of, of a certain one are in the card. Chroma, chroma, so if you like reveal became, blue, chroma became devotion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, etched, it's well, etched, kind of, kind of. Oracle is the is the card. Uh, sunburst, sunburst. sunburst. So yeah, those are the those are all the same thing, right? Sunburst, converge, and and uh, adamant on the opposite side of the spectrum are all like, what type of mana do you use? And all of them are boring. <laughs> Even sunburst has some cool cards, and I think that's one of the reasons it's powerful. I think it's cooler on artifacts, um, but in general, I think it's just like. I don't think I care which type of mana I'm spending to play a car being variable. And I think if you're going to do it, Sunburst is the best version of it. So maybe I agree. Maybe it's like for, for, for me, it's, it's, it's either, it's either Sunburst or it's Devotion. Those are, those are like the two of, of the ones we just talked about that feel like the best. I, but Devotion, I, think I, would, I, like I would say more. Devotion mechanically isn't similar, right? Because Devotion is, is like, it's like, how many of this thing do you have in play? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not the same as what mana did you use to cast this spell, and it gets marginally better. Because I guess, I guess what it is is most of the time with these mechanics. Sorry, I did interrupt you, but let me. Uh, most of the time, no, no, go ahead. These, what most of the time with these mechanics, it's like this mechan- This card is bad unless you do the thing. But sometimes you can play it if you need to. But then yeah, I think I think so. Cards. Yeah. So I think the last things that, that to talk about in this article that I think like struck a chord with me that were really cool. The first one, the elephant in the room, so to speak, the elk in the room is Oko, right? Like he does address Oko. He says that like the lesson learned here was like, you know, too many pluses of, of a high power level on a planeswalker make the gameplay experience kind of bad. Uh, you have to be careful with this because it, I still think, dude, when we talk about and I realized that when we spoiled Oko, it was right around my back surgery. So I was like sort of out of the loop a little bit. I remember I, I did Twitch Rivals like right when I lost the use of my leg and like they were just coming out with the, the promos for Eldraine. I remember, I like remember. And so like we were looking at promos. They probably they hadn't previewed Oko yet. When Oko dropped as a preview, I like couldn't walk. So I was like, well, I was looking, but I was like, eh, whatever. Like this plane's walking. It's not doing anything that good. Well, and when I came it also, back, it also had that weird delayed release, right? Where you saw it the first time and you didn't know what food was. And then when you learn what food was, it's a classically bad card. <laughs> yeah, right. Get two, two, two mana gain three life, right? It's normally not that powerful. Yeah, but it's crazy to think that realistically, Oko is the best Planeswalker ever printed. <laughs> like, that's like such a hard thing to stomach that it, you could have potentially looked at a card the first time and not had your draw drop on the best thing of the most powerful card type ever. Like, that's crazy, right? Like, and, and that... I think it's the power of new, right? Like food was yes. new. Like even I would argue artifact tokens is new. It's not the first time they did it. Obviously, treasures and clues, and 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 in some ways it's interesting because I think food is the worst benefit of those three, which means that they were the most willing to push it. Right? There's no right. Like if a planeswalker plus to make a clue, that would be an insane ability in some ways because you get like these artifacts that you can draw cards off of. If a a three mana planeswalker plus to make a treasure, that also is kind of insane. That's like ramp, like a ramp that's ramping every turn. Um, and so like Oko did that, and then also just had infinite loyalty and sustained. And one thing they didn't mention in the article is just how high his starting loyalty on a three mana planeswalker was. That that <laughs> I think is something that like needs was I think like I think Oko is a problem on literally almost every part of his text. Like right. his food plus two should have been a plus one. His elk ability should have been a minus ability. I guess his ultimate doesn't matter at all. Uh, his, yeah. his, he should have been four mana. His loyalty should have been two. <laughs> like everything on the card changes. But, but like the problem with that card is that if you do all of that and you make it all of the things we just talked about, then it becomes like yet another unexciting Kiora. And, and that's not that sweet. Like, you don't want that. You don't want to print another Kiora. Like, you don't want to print another, you know... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll, I, I mean, no no shade on no shade Kiora, on Explorer. Like, Explore Kiora. I love Explore Kiora. She, like, bubbled Yeah, no, I love Explorers. that card. I'm there all day for that card. Like, I love that card, but that card is not a top five or a top ten or even, like, a top 20 Planeswalker of all time. So, like, you know, it's cool, but, like, people don't get that excited. It's just more of the fact that it's a blue-green Planeswalker. Um, you know, I, I think so. You want to make sure you're balancing and you're... And you're but like you even look at like four mana Tamio, you know, Bant Tamio and how sweet that card sort of seemed when you read it and how irrelevant the card actually became. It's really hard. Like when you when you push these things, you don't 
Like I could have read four mana Tamiyo in my mind and gone, this is going to be way too good. I think, I think that's more to do with like, they've, they've even said it when, when they released four mana Tamiyo, when they released Tamiyo, they said the reason we were able to add this extra planeswalker in this set when normally we do not have this many planeswalkers in standard or in this color or whatever is by making it three colors. It basically doesn't exist. Right, like that's 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 kind of where like because the only way this card is good is if there is a playable Bant deck. The only way that the 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 Sarkon is good is if there's a playable. Um, uh, that, that, that that's pretty interesting. So right. so yeah, okay. So you're restricting it by the fact that three color standard decks are and and like that's a hard thing to do anyway, and, unless it happens to be the good one. And you have to get it on turn four for that planeswalker to be in play on turn four, right? Which is like in planeswalkers, you want out as soon as you possibly can. So especially like and they can balance that, right? Like oh, both of those cards are only good if you get them on turn four. Like so so I think from their perspective, it's more of a like. It's different. But I do see what you're saying, right? You want cards to be exciting. You want cards to be cool. And you want them to be new. And lessons were learned, right? He said, removal should never be a plus. <laughs> um, yeah. And I also think like, you know, looking at the Royal Scions, like two mana, three, or sorry, three mana Planeswalker with like a high loyalty that comes down right away. That card is right on the edge of being too good. It's not too good. It's definitely just a sweet card. It's a very cool card. It's not a card that's ever going to do anything crazy. But there's a world in which one of those abilities made that card too good because it's it's playing in a very similar space to Oko. It's not that different, right? Like it's missing one thing to be a similarly oppressive card just because it costs three and has high loyalty. Yeah, I think I think like I, I guess why I disagree with you on Oko is like I ra- I want every planeswalker to be Garrick and the Royal Scions, uh, where they're cool, people are excited by them, they're dope. They have specific purposes in the eternal in formats that they see play in. They do see some play, but they're not like Fornak defining like Gideon was or, or Gideon of not of the trials, Gideon ally of Zendikar, right? Like that's right, bad. right, right. Uh, I also don't hate like the design space that um, the Akoria Planeswalkers played in, right? Both both Vivian and um, Red Dude with big cats. <laughs> He's right here. Look how big as cats Luca. are luca uh like that's cool i like that luca's seeing play in modern but it's like in weird fringe strategies right like it's not something that's too overly powerful that that's the stuff i like um kind of the the the, the thing that because i think we're, we're in l drain right now so the other thing i i, I want to bring up that that mara brings up that i really like and it's interesting because one of my biggest complaints in magic right now is the story has been evaporated um, the story that does exist is behind book paywalls written by authors that don't care that are inconsistent with what's going on. Like Ikoria's book had contrasting things than what was on the cards themselves. Um, Theros's book was deleted uh, due to being problematic. Uh, War of the Spark kind of tanked multiple build-up relationships of characters in a way that was very problematic to the community. Throughout the Dream story was fine, right? That's probably the best of these. But as that story has kind of been put to a in a direction that's not the best one of the things i wish that was more addressed in here on the other end wizards is much more willing to do cool sets and cool worlds like the fact that they were afraid of doing fantasy world and doing a lot of these tropes because they they were stuck in the batman versus superman everything has to be dark and edgy and cool mode and like we can't have squirrels in our game and goblins can't be fun they have to be angry and throw like like the fact that eldrin is like no 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 we're gonna have gingerbread man 
<laughs> I actually, yeah, and, and I think, and I think, because because he talked about that, but he also talked about like changing hound to dog and mm-hmm. like some of those things. And I think that there's like a level to that that actually makes magic way better. Way like better. Yeah. it, because magic is like sort of a quirky game. It like it's sort of supposed to be kind of a quirky game. Like mm-hmm. I don't want the Avengers, you know. I want Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, like right. that's like kind of what I want magic to be. And it's okay. Like Star Lord's a badass. Like like you know Drax is great. They have to fight Thanos. Like he's a, he is an early villain in that story. And Thanos can be Nicol Bolas. But you don't need your heroes and your story to all necessarily just be Iron Man and Captain America. Like it can be weird. And and I think the MCU is a perfect example. I think it's what the lesson they learned. Right? Is you have in the MCU you have uh, Winter Soldier, which is like a hard spy movie that's like an assassin hunting you down. Uh, and dealing with shady government institutions to Guardians of the Galaxy, which is about a raccoon in a tree fighting God. <laughs> uh, like, <Yeah. laughs> fine. Uh, I'm I'm fine with. Uh, I guess ego is not a god. Whatever ego is. Um, I'm I'm fine with. He's a god. Yeah, he, he, he's a god. Right? He's, yeah, he's a, a demigod. I think. Right? Yeah. Um. So you have you have that the 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 range there, and magic can have that too. You can have Phyrexia and. Uh, uh, Theros and War of the Spark, but you can also have Eldraine and Ikoria and Jumpstart and whatever plane all of these dogs are from. Because <laughs> uh, well, I, I think like also like, yeah, you look into all the different things that have been printed this last year and like the way p- the players have reacted to it. Like it's so much more like memeable. It's so much more like Twitter friendly. It's so much more what we want to talk about on the podcast when they print Shark Typhoon. They give us Sharknado the magic card. Like that's like so much better than than you know I I don't know like midnight whatever the six drop zombie making thing is like that's cool it's a big six drop that makes zombies and I'm I, I it's not that I'm not into zombies but I'm gonna pay so much more attention to a playable card that is shark typhoon that's mm-hmm. just gonna happen like I care a lot more you know mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. I think it's a good mixture but I think it's very interesting to compare like Lorwyn Morning Tide Shadowmore uh, to Throne of Eldraine because it's like they're not trying to create their own world of, of, you know, fantasy and, and weird fairy tales. They're literally saying like all of those fairy tale tropes, that's the set. Yeah. <laughs> so we have, we have, we have a, we're going to bake this. into a pie and make a gingerbread man. And we're going to give you all these knights and like sires and dope. Right. Yeah. All it's, about it. It's interesting that. It, 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 what's cool about Throne of Jane is it's they took the lessons from Innistrad and and applied them to fantasy tropes where Laurelwyn was like kind of them building a magic set the way they used to yeah. in a world that had fantasy tropes and I like the lessons from Innistrad a lot more. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting about Eldraine is it's this weird nerd microcosm where if you went to a regular person and you were like, "Hey, Knights of the Round Table, Disney fantasy tropes." Does that exist in the same world? They're like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. In fact, there's a Disney movie about Sword of the Stone. Like that. Yes, right. those are all the same thing. But like, there was so much content about how like wizards had to convince themselves and the public at large that it was okay that Camelot and uh, Disney fantasy-esque tropes were existing within the same plane and that they like they couldn't fit together. Like they didn't align in the right way and they had to do a lot of work to make it work. And I'm like, no, those are those... I, you honestly, you could have told me that they all came from the same look. Like Grimm's fairy tales and Arthurian legend could come from the same person, and I would believe it. <laughs> it's all it's princesses and knights. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, Theros beyond death. Yeah, back. I was. I mean, I, 
have to say specifically this last year of design, my one, my one, like I'm very aware of the cards. I've played with a lot of them because of COVID. Like I didn't play Ikoria and I really, I think Theros happened like a month before, maybe a uh, month and a half possibly. And I sort of, you know, I opened some packs and I, and I, I think I, I want to say that I played online once maybe, um, but I didn't really get to play with the cards much. It, it was a set that I was a little time off from. And, you know, by the time I sort of would have gone to my next magic event and probably like threw in some, you know, Theros packs into a chaos draft or something like COVID happened. Mm -hmm. So like this set, this set that kind of only barely exists to me. It exists almost purely on arena to me in my mind. Sure. Um, but I mean, I think I played a lot of it on arena. I think it as a limited, you know, as a limited format, it was cool. I like graveyard theme sets. It was doing a lot of stuff. I liked. it did a lot of the stuff that I liked from original Theros all condensed and got rid of all the stuff I didn't like, which was like the heroic bestow, making monstrous part of it. I like to bestow as a mechanic and I like it as kind of where it ended up on Ikoria, but as like a set around heroic and monstrous, I wasn't as big of a fan. So I liked this being constellations and graveyard stuff. Excuse me. Um, obviously cards were powerful again. Like Uro is really strong. Um, I, I, I'm here for an, I'm here for a flashback mechanic though. Anytime you give me a card that says flashback on it. And by that, I mean escape. I'm into it. Um, the world was cool. I'm glad uh, Elsbeth is back. Um, you know, in, in, in Mara's article, he brings up, you know, obviously Theros, they like hit most of the things we wanted back. The only thing that people really complained about was not being brought, at, brought back was bestow. And then the fact that we didn't get every single God, which I think was his statement of like, I think if next time we go back to Theros or if this were to happen again, they would have done Theros in the position Ikoria was in and done Theros and then the five commander products would each have the gods, right? Like that's what they should have done. They should have released a commander set alongside this where the gods that aren't in the set would be in the adjacent commander product. They just didn't have enough space for all of these characters in the set, especially because gods are so mechanically locked. I also like don't know how much I want more gods. <laughs> I like think they're super sweet. They're like really cool cards, but they're also like enormously frustrating to play against. And I don't want every color combination to have access to that effect of oh. this like cheap thing that triggers when you cast it and also that escapes and then also attacks and does the same thing. Like that's, I hate Uro. I, I, I hate, or yeah, I hate Uro with all my heart. Say what? That's a Titan. Oh, what are we talking about? Gods. Gods are like Perforos and Heliod and. Oh, and, oh yeah. And, yeah. And wait, 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 wait. Because I read the article and I thought they were saying that there was only. So, Wasn't he so, saying in the article that people complained that there weren't more in, of the Titans? In the same sentence, people complain about both, right? Because the only gods we got were the five main ones, the and then the red green one. Oh, and the not one. the other ten, because there was fifth because there was fifteen. They wanted right. the other ones. And then and then so they you got seven of the now of the fifteen gods that exist. because uh, we got the red green one that replaced Anagos. Um and then two titans gotcha. of at least five titans but they also picked enemy colors so theoretically there are 10 titans or there's some weird non not enemy or non non ally colored based cycle uh i want more titans like croaks is dope uh, like yeah rose powerful but just over the line in power level like i don't i think like if it didn't gain life or it didn't like if one of the three abilities on it weren't there the like 6-6 six, six, that gives you a thing when it attacks and blocks escape card, to me, doesn't feel nearly as problematic when it's on Kroxa. Like, that card seems fine. And I think you just, like... Yeah, I mean, correctly. because, like, so so I think I think I agree with you. Maybe it's it could just be Uro. could just be that I hate that card. 
And it's also, you and I have talked about this, but it's exactly the kind of card that I does not mesh with the style of magic I like. I like to try to do, you know, EQ out and, and control the damage and all that. So you drawing lots of cards and having a big threat and all, like, I, I hate all that. But I, I, honestly, I think if, 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 if Rowan didn't gain life, it would still be very good, right? And I, I just think it, it isn't as pushed as it is right now. I think that's to me the 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 line that it crossed, and I think it has to do with them trying to make Kroxa and Uro be like opposites of each other. Uh, yeah, the three thing because it's like he does three damage and you discard a card. This one gains you three life and draws you a card. I mean, honestly, the other end is just literally make them opposites, right? Like get rid of the put an extra land into play. Like yeah, or, or you could have made it two. You could have made it two and two. If Uro gained two, I think I would hate it, but I would hate it less. Yeah, so I think I and Croxa if Croxa dealt too would be sweet, but still would be sweet enough to play. Uh, I think it's worse though. I don't like Crox is barely playable. It's playable, but it's like on a line. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one thing. Yeah, Titans and Gods were missing, and then the story was missing. That was the other big complaint for the set, right? Like this big moment. Part of it is that the story, for the most part, is Elspeth. Elspeth comes back to life. There's a person who chases her. Part of it is that the story and book that was written. Um, there are rumors that it was probably problematic uh, and based on the response to the problematic things that were in the second war, of the spark book, they decided to not release it. Um, and then uh, the third one is, yeah, there's just, they, they kind of, I think that's part of the big problem. Um, I think they're restructuring how that stories are hopefully being told. I hope they're restructuring. That's like, like the thing is there's so much not the actual problems from the year for the most part, don't have a lot of, clairvoyance right we don't know what's going on there the one place we do know is the one place that kind of wasn't his fault right morrow designed cool worlds i wouldn't there's not one thing about this year from a mechanical perspective that i have a huge complaint about maybe companion uh and and he like owns up to that versus like all the other issues story uh and etc um that i've now mentioned like three times in this episode so the companion comment was the one that when I was reading it, that, that was like the most. Any, any last things bef- on Theros before we go to Ikoria? No, I'm good with that. I mean, cool. I, I think I think Theros sagas like escape. I was... More sagas. Cool. Let's go to Ikoria. <laughs> I thought that I, I thought that the saga thing was cool. I thought like I thought when he talked about that, I hadn't really thought about it as much. And I think I kind of missed the fact that it had come from such a recent set and they brought them back. Like I almost forgot that happened because. I'd played with so many of them, but like story wise, they do fit so much more with Theros than they did with Dominaria. And I actually think sagas mechanically are a very, very cool addition. I, I like them. I don't find them to be too powerful. I do find like, like there's the black one that's like target player sacks a creature, they get a card and then they resurrect something. Like that card's a little annoying because it feels like you're doing too many things for too little. Um, five mana though. But like, yeah. And all of those effects, I wouldn't. Like, I would maybe play five mana for a reanimator spell, and it would be bad. It would yeah. be, like, limited only, right? So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of value, though. Yeah, yeah. And it's also hard to interact with, right? That's that's the problem. That's, that's the thing, is that when you put a lot of value on these things, because they're enchantments, it's kind of like, if you play a Planeswalker that in three turns is capable of doing those three things at Mythic Rare for five mana, I probably can kill it on my turn. Or at least I have a shot to kill it. And you have to make sure I don't have creatures that can kill it. But if you play an enchantment, and I can't answer it for that mana, you're getting exactly that ability. And if it's a very grindy high rate of return, that was kind of the only part of it that I, but, but like in general, I actually think that the design of those cards is pretty cool. I like that they're enchantments. I like that they use counters. Like there's, there's a lot of those cards I think that worked really well. And if we, if we had them come back more often, I'd be pretty stoked, especially the lower power ones. Like 
the lower powered ones are actually the ones that I responded to even the most. Like there's the there's the white one that gets you like a land, makes a zero four and gains you some life. Like I think that card's perfect. That's would, like a that's argue, a really power level is debatable, right? I think that card's really powerful, but it's 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 not in a way that's ever going to be oppressive. But that card's really good. No, it's yeah, like yeah. marginal. It's like a really marginal card, which I like because if I'm playing against it, and you get it. I'm like, hey, good drop, man. Like you, you know, you got that your thing going. Sweet. This you, is sweet. You block and gain some life and got a land. I hate you if I'm mono red. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I think I think one thing that on that that to bring up is I like wizards is almost abandonment of the hard fast rules of when they can put sets and stuff in the mechanics and timing and stuff right yeah it's like read there there's there's a little bit of an argument that like the conversation of evergreen versus returning versus deciduous versus what mechanics can be where is unnecessary like they, they need to be careful that they're not just like oh yeah there's 12 new mechanics in this set and we only have one card with protection there's only one card with uh uh admit in this set but we thought it was perfect and we like yes i get where you like the point of mechanics are to make it easier to know what's going on but i don't think there needs to be like a time weighted between sets coming back and like sagas and vehicles and stuff like that can be deciduous and are cool and are cool card types um yeah um Icoria Layer of Behemoths. Now you were about to go on a little rant on Companion. I think I think what I was mentioning earlier, which I want to say maybe before you go, because because I, I think it curtails on what you're saying. The Please. most interesting thing from this whole article to me is the conversation on like Icoria was a set that we were trying to push things super weird, right? We were trying to make something super complicated and hard. And the lesson, one of the biggest lessons we learned is when we do that, we need to be careful on putting too much complication on our own internal testing teams to be able to handle. And basically his statement was a combination of mutate and companion because both of those sets were extremely complicated and weird did not allow the team to focus on both of them in a way that would allow people to have caught the mistake that was companion. Um, and, and from his perspective, companion was his biggest mistake this year. I think that's fair. Yeah, but I think I like where I, where I appreciate him taking responsibility is that yes, that's true. But the reality is like the difference between mutate and bestow is pretty marginal. If you stack your mutates, there are cards that are giving you reward for doing that altogether. And that's cool. Um, but again, it, none of them are that cheap. There's like, there was no engine there that made me feel like this is playing into a space where like, like mutate never, ever felt problematic from the second I read it to any time I played with it. It just felt kind of exactly like I assumed it would be because it's pretty similar to something we've seen before. Companion, on the other hand, look in historic, I play against Luris decks right now consistently that it's still very good in. And that's after nerfing that card so hard. Like, mm-hmm. That's after that card being tested, like, if you're making the power levels, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, and they thought it was, like, an 8, that's, like, it feels like they've nerfed it down to a 4, and it's still really good. So, like, that's the part of it that I I think about that I'm just, like, I don't really know how. What are you doing internally if you're trying out something brand new like that, and you're not finding it to be problematic? Because if that card still exists the way it was supposed to be, in historic, not modern, but historic, where the power level is way lower... That's insane. It's so bonkers. It's so unfun and so unfair. Like, I think what were they testing? I think that a they weren't testing in internal formats, right? Like the the the, the statement at the Period. beginning of the the article, which is one of the big misses, is that they're not paying attention to formats beyond standard, and they need to not not pay attention to those formats. Was about companion. Like, I think that was literally saying because because I think if companions were played as much as they were being played in standard, 
they're fine. If there was a standard season where just like every deck had to have a companion, I don't think that's a, I mean, like it kind of like, obviously it's a little bit of a hit and a miss and maybe other like Oko or like, like that's the weird thing about this year is no mechanic exists in the format that wizards tested them in basically since war of the spark. <laughs> um, so, so it's a little bit hard to kind of know what they mean. I think companions wouldn't have been as be hated if they didn't warp every format in magic around themselves past standard like if standard was the companion format but you could go to modern and modern's like um no those are trash i couldn't ever play that card then they wouldn't have been a problem but the fact is that like because of their ubiquitous in all of magic immediately that was where the bad kind of blood came from for the mechanic i think that it's also something that's hard to know i think they just didn't didn't like didn't figure out that oh every person is going to play this card forever, which like in hindsight is obviously something that's a miss. Like in hindsight, like, you know, one of the like greatest magic memories is the first time I played, um, or it was the third time I had ever played conspiracy and it was with Gavin and Gavin trounced everyone. And I had played it like uh, I've done like maybe four drafts at that point, like two times each time I played. And this was the fifth one. And basically all I did was like, I picked every, every single, Every single conspiracy card. No matter what, I didn't pick any of the Draft Matters cards. I didn't pick any of that. I picked every single conspiracy because every single one reads draw a card at the beginning of the game. And that's what companions do, right? And so, like, internally, they knew that this is the type of thing that could be powerful. And they just thought the restrictions that were being put on deck building were high enough. And in standard, they were to an extent. Because there's not that many cards that are available. So they can say, like, well, this says you can do this. So based on what we know now... Mm -hmm. What's what are you going to be able to do here? Here's the list of the 174 cards you can play in this deck, you know, or here's the list of the 400 cards, whatever. Like, so that that's a little bit more. Yeah. And I understand that part of it. And I think I think you also don't get in Wizards. The, you, I don't think it's easy to test the misery of a broken format. And what I what I mean, like the problem with lore, like the problem in modern when Loris and Yorian were as powerful as they were, wasn't the diversity of decks, right? It wasn't that because there was like we, we made this argument. We have episodes talking about it. where like. There were seven different good Luros decks that are all totally different and did totally different things with that card. And there were yeah. like three different Urion decks. And there was an Obosh deck in Modern. In, in Standard, there were a ton of different styles of companion decks seeing play. So in Wizards' perspective, oh, that's great. That's diverse. But you don't have a 30-round GP or what, a 24-round GP where every single opponent plays Luros on turn three doesn't matter yeah. what they're doing. Luros is coming down on turn three or turn four. Yorion's coming down on turn five every single round. And so, like, that's where the misery came from. That's where the lack of diversity came from. Because from Wizard's perspective, I think one of the reasons all the companions were so good and so many of them saw play is what Wizards did well was made sure that each and every one of them was a reason to play a companion. And, and yeah, it was appealing. So, and they are appealing. And I think that's one of the things that I find the coolest about them. And it's also one of the things that I actually think with the new system, which is bizarre. It's one of the probably the more bizarre erratas that's ever happened in Magic. They're still sweet cards. <laughs> they're still totally sweet. Like, uh, obviously, Luris is the most powerful of all of them. But I still play against Yorian. I still play against uh, Gigantha. I still play. There's still a bunch of my play against in Historic, you know? Yep. And, and, and like, yeah, so I think like. Companions was so out there and off the wall that I I think that just like I think where what the resource they use on 
um, mutate was more how to make it work, right? Not necessarily is this too powerful or how it's just like literally the the game had to be modified as a rules system to make both of these mechanics work. And so it made it harder to lock down what the power level of these cards were is I think what he meant. Um, yeah. Companions was just this. Yeah. It, one of the interesting things I saw was because of the Godzilla preview cards, the world didn't wrap their brain around that. This was a monster set themed beyond just giant Godzilla effects. Like, right. Eldrazi. Right. Like, I don't think I even put together in my brain as a person who has a literal cutout of an Alolan uh, uh, Pokemon in my apartment next to me at all times that this was a Pokemon set. (laughs) Did you put that together? Did you put together that it was like, that's what companions are and that's what bonding is, is you have a Pokemon? No. It's like, I choose you and you choose me, Pokemon. Like, that's what... Zero zero, zero percent. They're just like things... They're Mechanically, in my mind, they work... They're, As a card in my sideboard, I can start a, with the 61st card in my deck. They're a pet monster that you hold in exile, that you bring out to fight people, and walks around and goes on adventures with you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. That, that that concept did not occur to me. Really, and like I was like, oh, oh, I get it. The bonders make because there was so much of a focus during this, like the release of it on the bonders. Right, there's five bonder. There's an uncommon bonder cycle. It's this whole big deal. And just like my brain did not put together because of the Godzilla stuff, because of all the Godzilla previews the entire time. Like, oh, this is Godzilla plane. This is where all the Godzilla monsters are fighting. It never got to, oh, this is Pokemon plane where they they like literally it's they're evolving. <laughs> That's what mutating yep. is. It's an evolution of the Pokemon. I like can't handle that. I went this long without really figuring that out. Uh, and I'm mad at myself and wizards for taking that from me with Godzilla cards. <laughs> And then, and then the last set. Any, anything else there? I guess I mentioned the story being disconnected with Akoria. It wasn't as much of an epic continuation of things, so it never really bothered me. Um, I honestly don't know if I knew there was a book, uh, and it is mentioned here. Um, Limited was great. I like loved Limited of the format. Cycling is also really cool. We haven't really touched on cycling. I, I liked how what they yeah. did with cycling. The solar flare. It's not solar flare, but whatever flare was probably a little too powerful to be where it was in rarity in the set, but otherwise I think the set was really cool. Um, I love, I love counters. I love trample counters and flying counters. All that's awesome. Um, and maybe my favorite thing from the set. I think that the, I think I didn't love mutate. I understand mutate. It feels, I don't like that. It's it. It's like the biggest payoff you get off of mutate is that the more times you mutate, something cool happens because that means that unless they go back to mutate, I'm getting the extent of this mechanic. And like, it because it specifically is triggering off of this word mutate it means that the most fun i can have with it is exactly what i get in the set which i never like because i like i like for instance the idea that you know in in theros when you draw your second card each turn something happens and then cycling comes in a, sh- in a set shortly thereafter so like i can cycle something but get a trigger off of a theros card like that's cool design to me that's very simple but it's like a simple way that it kind of works together there's cool things you can mutate on a kiki jiki and go infinite how? As long as the creature you're mutating on the Kiki Jiki is not a legendary creature, goes infinite. You make infinite copies of himself. Comes in. Because it's no longer legendary. Because Kiki Jiki is a target non-legendary creature, so he you turn him by mutating onto Kiki Jiki, the card gains Kiki Jiki's ability, tap target creature becomes copy target creature, untap gains haste, but none of them Oh, are... sure, because it like becomes the creature. Yeah. That's pretty cool. 
So you need you need something to do with all those tokens because they all come into play, you know, tapped. Um, but that's not to say that there isn't ways to do that. Uh, I, so where I come on me to, I would rather I'm fine with sometimes mechanics being meant for that limited format, and like I'd rather mutate than adamant any day of the week, right? Like mutate yeah, yeah, yeah. mutate's cool. It does something makes the format very unique. Uh, maybe some of them are constructed playable. I've definitely played against some of them that are constructed playable. The way they make it is mostly just an ETV, right? So I'm fine with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like really love Decoria. I think like as far as that, like like companions suck about uh, their power level, I guess. But beyond that, I think it's one of my favorite sets in a while. Um, Corset 2021. Played a lot uh, of this. The sweetest card. The, the, the sweetest card in Corset 2021. Thieves Guild Enforcer. Through and through, best card in the whole set. <laughs> uh, Rogue's Tribal came back. Um, love the dog change. We mentioned that. I love uh, just the quantity of reprints from Grim Tutor to Scavenging Ooze to Containment Priest. Um, I think that the... I love Shrines coming back, right? Like, that's really cool. Um, I don't love playing against them in historic, but they're around. It's annoying, um, yeah. I think my biggest, I think my biggest comment, I think he touches upon this as well, is I like the idea, I like what they did with Chandra. Um, I like that there was a Chandra at every rarity, right? Like, I think that's cool. I think that's a cool way to have a corset be about a planeswalker. And I wish they did that with the fairy. That's pretty much my way one. I wish they're and like they could be bad, right? Like I, it could be they, they are good at making bad planeswalkers now, or like just limited only planeswalkers. And I would be fine if all of them were that way. Um, but it, yeah, I just I just like I some of my favorite cards from the last year are that is like Chandra three mana rare Chandra, right? Like is actually all cards so like sweet. All the Chandras from from uh, that set. So I think there just was a little bit more of that for Teferi, and hopefully they. It sounds like they kind of took that lesson. Um, the only issue they said they had an issue was just like Teferi has so much bad blood around him because of how powerful right. the last two, literally every Teferi card ever printed has been problematically powerful until this most recent one. And that's to be seen. <laughs> uh, I like, I, I really like this recent one. He's, he's one of my favorite cards from the set because I like that he hasn't, I mean, other than commander, obviously where he's insane, but like in, in, in constructed one V one formats, I like that he hasn't been pushed yet. Like in a way where everybody's like, well, you have to play this card because like he's really cool. Uh, like it feels really good to be able to play that card and get to high loyalty looting twice your, like your turn and their turn. I think the phasing ability is like a really great mechanic to bring back. And it's cool that it's on a Teferi on a mythic planeswalker where like you should be able to understand what phasing means because it's like this big mythic planeswalker. It's kind of a marquee card. It feels special and unique and cool. Like if you're a new player, you're like, wow, this is the only what is phasing only to fairy can phase like only he's allowed to do this like that's really cool and i think that's that's temporary true actually i think phasing is something they could be thinking of bringing back in a real way one of the reasons they said they brought it back is that they've realized that blinking has too many things attached to it that like like they can't cost blinking cards or creatures that cause blinking uh Theladar guardian being a great example uh in 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 easy ways because they interact with enter the battlefield effects or they create like just the rules work with them in a weird way. Phasing allows them to kind of do what they want with blinking as like the protective half of blinking while getting rid of all of its baggage. You don't have an exile issue. You don't have stuff fall off. So you're not like, if you've built up a creature, like one of the best reasons to protect a creature is like, I've invested a bunch of resources onto it and blinking doesn't protect it anymore like it removes all the things on it so like it phasing i think they've said is a better card and we saw with oblet in 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 uh uh double masters and i think it's it's 
more than anything, I think it's just like, I think it's interesting. They've realized how to template the rules on abilities in ways that make more sense that like are easier for people to understand. And I think it's another kind of lesson, same as let, let there be Eldraine's, right? Let the game be a little bit more friendly for new players or players that aren't into the dark, gritty Batman universe. And then let people, uh, and phasing, having reminder text that's a little less game focused and a little bit more, how do we explain this in the easiest way to understand, I think is the benefit uh, to magic. And phasing is a good example. We're now phasing's back. Phasing works differently than it used to, but now the words all make sense. They can print Oblet with just the word phasing on it. Target creature phases down until Oblet leaves. I like the Oblet. Yeah, Oblet. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. Black, black um, soaring. I, I also like our uh, our preview card, Ghostly Pilfer. Mm-hmm. I, I think that card is a cool, like, like there. I really love it when they print cards like that because it doesn't feel too good. It doesn't even feel like it's going to be on the radar as like a really good card. It feels sweeter than it is good. It feels like you would have to put it in just the right situation to shine. But what it's doing in a blue deck that's different than I think a lot of what has classically made blue good, I think is cool. It gives blue a little bit of a hate bears feeling. It gives blue a little bit of like an inevitability engine. It gives blue just, it's a sorcery speed two one, right? Like for two, it's it's not that good. But cards like that are my favorite. Like I, that, that's, I love that card. That's kind of one of the reasons I liked Abbott of Carol Keep so much or Care Keep. Like I just like those cards that you get like a marginal advantage off a two drop. It's not that good, but it's good enough probably never going to fit into the sort of, you know, Ghosty Pilfer is never going to be Snapcaster Mage, but it's totally playable and fun and does things that are cool and interesting and acts as a really great two drop that fits into a place that a lot of decks are not able to. So I just, I like that card and I hope they continue to, you know, play around with that in all colors. Um, that specific template of, of creature, like those interestingly powerful two drops uh, that do something cool that don't break the game. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think it's an awesome card. I like it's the re- same reason I like um, uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist, right? Like it's a cool two drop yes. value. It's like you have to work around it. It's not easy, but if you get it going, it's tight. And like that's that. I'm here for that. Even Crooks is that, right? Like uh, uh, yeah, cool two drops. Um, last last conversation is Jumpstart. I mean, we kind of started the episode at the beginning of it, um, where. This is the best beginner product ever created for Magic. Um, and not even close, actually. Like, no product has ever been this good at getting a new player to play Magic ever made. Just simple and fun. Has, like... There's, so when you when you buy Jumpstart off the shelf, what does it look like? Not... not oh, right, because I obviously haven't seen it I don't know for sure. From the perspective of, like... I, I actually do wonder how you pick which packs you get. But I know that before when you get started, you get enough packs for you to put two packs that have like dog and vampires and then shuffle them together. And you know what's inside the packs from that point. You know, not what the exact contents are, but you know that this is going to be a dog pack and this is going to be a vampire pack and you can shuffle them together. Um, I don't know. I forget if when you buy it, when you buy a pack of jumpstart, you might get three. So you can choose between the three, which one you play, or if you buy two of them, you have enough for two people to play. I, I forget exactly, exactly that part of the layout of how it works. Which obviously chat is just telling us right now. Um, they're telling us in the comments yeah. how jumpstart jumpstart works, and we really appreciate it. Also, people in the chat, um, I just lost the game, and what? Which means that you have also lost, and I apologize. I don't know if Ben knows the game. Do you know the game? What's the game? No. 
I'm going to ruin Ben's life. Uh, so the way the game works is if you think about losing the game, you've lost the game. And you have to out loud declare that you've lost the game. Wow. So now I've lost also? You've lost also, yes. Yeah. So now the game is not thinking about the game. But the moment you think about the game, you've lost the game. And you have to out loud say that you've lost the game. I've lost the game. As have all of our listeners. And they can comment about it <laughs> while they tell us how Jumpstart works. <laughs> um, and um, and yeah, I think I think that's that's it for the year. It's interesting. I When does the game so reset? Well, when as soon as you forget about the game. Oh, God, okay. The we game is again. not thinking about the game. Or we haven't... I don't think I've finished losing yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, this is such a this is such a sad i'm gonna start losing during the day so often this is brutal <laughs> oh man i'm actually really glad i've been able to bring this for you to you ben you've now experienced losing the game oh. <laughs> um so i think i think uh at what <laughs> other than the fact that this year has not only been covid and and the election and everything going on, I've now also imparted onto the game and have caused you to lose. Um, <laughs> Charge what, it to the game, baby. What, 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 what are your thoughts on this year in Magic? Like, as kind of final wrap-ups, where do you think there were more missteps than... Like, the interesting thing, as I said to me, is that Morrow is only one part of what is Magic, right? And and some of the problems are 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 within his bucket of influence, but I actually think that the issues I've had with this year as far as magic goes are outside of his framework. Um, but what, where, where are you at on, on everything? I think course of 21 is a great set. It feels like the way that I want my core sets to feel. It's exciting. It has a great reprint. It has a fun play experience. I think, uh, Ikoria, sorry, uh, Eldraine is a great set. I think it, it does a lot of the things that make magic fun and great and it's interesting and it's cool and it functions really well. I think Ikoria is kind of a disaster. I think like, I don't love it as a set. It feels like, a lot of what's happening in it just feels like kind of just not my favorite. Uh, I don't hate the whole thing, but I think Ikoria to me feels a little bit more in the misstep in the vein of War of the Spark. Like just swinging for the fences and, and like on the whole doing stuff that just doesn't feel super great for Magic. Even with um, the companion mechanic fixed? It, it, like that's retroactive though, right? Like it, it didn't get designed that way. Well, like, like, they, like had to, one, they had to do like a very... One thing was messed up. It's not like... But okay, but but I'm that's such a massive thing that like as a consumer, I'm telling you, if I so look, we we do a magic podcast, we talk about it every day, we think about it every day, we play magic every day. So like, we have a level of patience and understanding and and we'll come around because we're constantly paying attention. But like, well, but I would argue that most people that experience magic companions did not affect. Like most magic players are not tournament grinders and play GPs, right? Most people are paper casual magic players and companions really only negatively impacted competitive magic yeah but dude it like it's not written on the paper card like i know that's the way the rule works now so yeah it uh, that to me that's a like that's a huge I'm not, I'm not saying companion like, isn't a mistake but like icori wasn't just mechan- like companion it had it had cycling it had counters it had triomes it had giant cool monsters it had yeah, stylistically, it's, it's, to me, it's, cool it's, it's to me, it's the, it's the toughest one. I don't love the counters either. I think it's a lot of information to track that I'm not as big of a fan of. So I, I think to me, that's the big misstep of the year is Akoria. I like pretty much the rest of the year. I think Jumpstart's phenomenal. Um, and also, I think the 
the willingness for Magic to continue to release paper products that are awesome, but also push Arena really hard and make Magic more of a digital game in like a friendly way is great. Um, I, obviously, I wish that it had been available on Mac sooner. I'm glad it is now. <laughs> makes my makes my like dumb dumb Mac user life so much more fun that I can do this without having to like use a separate computer. It's like easy and, and it makes magic feel a lot more real in my life during COVID to be able to do it. I mean, purely from a a uh, uh, perspective of like you, a person with a following that is almost the majority of those people are not magic players, right? Like uh, uh, you have a significantly large following within the movie Schmodown outside of that sphere. Sure. And by putting it on Mac and arena, they have now exposed all of those followers to magic in a way that they had never done before because you're now live streaming. I mean, you've seen it. You, yeah, you've seen on my Twitch, like a lot of, like a lot of my people that follow me that like to come hang out with me. Don't play magic. I've got like a dozen people in the last week that have downloaded arena that are now playing it and are like stoked on it that wouldn't have, but right. like, that's what I'm streaming. And that's what, so now they want to do the same thing, which is fun. I can play with them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that's a good thing on their part. I think it's like that's really smart on their part to do. Yep. So that is it for the episode. Thank you so much, all the people that are watching. Once again, uh, make sure to follow on Twitch and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and Discord. We have a Discord. All those links are below. Discord community is actually like people are talking there again. So it's really cool. Uh, definitely check out the Discord. Um, that's where we're interacting probably more than even the Facebook group at this point. Uh, and um, definitely follow on Twitter and make sure to tune in on, on uh, Mondays uh, for the commander stream. Also this weekend, once again, Saturday at 2 PM uh, Pacific standard time. Uh, I'll, I'll be playing with uh, Talia Vess and the 99 and uh, uh, mana curves chase who is on our, 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 on our commander stream. And then on Sunday, we'll be doing a masters of modern panel about uh, getting um, competitive magic players into competitive commander and just commander in general and uh thank you so much for listening thank you ben as always thank you alex for uh, being a wonderful host this was fun i am looking forward to next week where we're going to talk a little bit more about secret lair so yeah uh, uh and uh yeah big shout out to inkling customs i have all of all of the, all of the fire fire nation the whole squad in token form. She's also who did the sad BDM violin. Check out her Patreon or her website, Inkling Customs. Uh, just Google it. It's probably the easiest to find. I don't know if it's a .com or a dot .something. That's so complicated now. I don't even have a .com. We're cast.co. <laughs> We're cast.co slash the MMCast. Um, and thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you guys. Uh, and thank our patrons. Thank, talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye.